You remember what was going on about a year ago? Well, of course you do. Who can forget it, right? We're at the beginning stages of the pandemic. Everything was virtually shut down. There was no in-person school. We couldn't even gather in person for our worship services. There was no going to movies, no going to sporting events, no going to concerts. It was just put on your mask, remain socially distanced, just stick with your immediate family members. And so with all that, there was a whole bunch of uncertainty, a whole bunch of worry, and a whole lot of fear. So as the church, as the people of God, we know that we're supposed to be people marked by joy, marked by hope. And so we made the pivot as a church to study the book of Exodus to adjust our theme for this year. And so we took on the theme, Hope for the 757. And as we look through the book of Exodus, we saw all of these movements of hope. We saw that hope begins with a burden, that hope conquers fear, that hope dreams, big dreams, that hope pays any cost, that hope requires obedience, that hope rests in the presence of God, and that lost hope really can be restored. And so this morning, we are coming to that climax of the book of Exodus. We're wrapping all things up as we conclude this morning with Exodus chapters 39 and chapter 40. But as we wrap up, I want us to think back about where it all started. Not not just where it started in Exodus, but where it really all started. Because you remember in Genesis, right? In Genesis 1, you have creation. Everything begins in this idyllic garden of Eden, and it is good. But by the end of Genesis, you end up at a graveside in Egypt. Everything that was so good, life had moved to death. God's presence had moved to God's distance. And so Exodus begins on this note. And you end Exodus, or you begin Exodus with this question. This big ultimate question is, will God ever be present with his people again? Because Exodus begins and there's a new Pharaoh. A Pharaoh who's forgotten about Joseph, who forgot all that Joseph had done for Egypt. You remember, Joseph, he rose to second in command of Egypt and he guided Egypt through those lean years. He had done so much for the Egyptian people. But now as the generations have gone by, there's a new Pharaoh and he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember all that Joseph has done. And what he sees is the Israelites multiplying and he's scared. And so he knows he has to do something about it. And then we also see, right, uh, Sephora and Pua, how they go against the edict of Pharaoh and they intercede on behalf of the Israelite children. And so what does the Pharaoh do? Well, he puts in an edict to throw all the Hebrew baby boys into the Nile to feed them to the crocodiles. We come into Exodus 2 and at the beginning of Exodus 2, we see this deliverer to be, Moses, and this inauspicious beginnings that that he has there as he's floating in the basket in the Nile only to be rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. It's this elaborate plan that Moses' parents had put together desperate for their boy to live and he does and he, he will grow to be this deliverer. But first, at the end of Exodus 2, he sees what's going on with the fellow countrymen and he's outraged and because of his outrage and he kills an Egyptian, he's exiled off to to Midian. Hope seems
seems lost. And there in Midian, he, he meets uh, his future bride, has uh, two sons. He's got a good family there. Things are going well for him in Midian. So you get to the end of Exodus chapter 2. And at the end of Exodus chapter 2, God's people have been crying out for over 400 years because they've been enslaved for 400 years. And so the stage seems barren. It seems bleak. It seems dark. It seems hopeless. And so the people of Israel, they're asking the question, the Israelites are asking, is God listening? Is God present? Is he here? Does he know? Does he care? Is he going to do anything about it? And what does it say? God heard. God remembered. God saw. And God knew. Specifically, it says that God remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. You remember that covenant consisted of three promises. The promise that he was going to make Abraham the father of many nations, that he was going to have a son. Then there was the promise of the land. Hey, as far as you can see, it's all going to be yours, this promise of land. And then there was this promise that kind of undergirds the others, that you will be my people and I will be your God and all people will be blessed. All nations will be blessed on account of you. It's this promise of blessing. And so throughout the book, the people are asking, will God really be with us? And so Moses, this deliverer, is raised up and God meets him in a burning bush. And in that burning bush, God communicates two very important things to Moses. Uh, The first is, I will be with you. And the second is, I am who I am. Exodus is about the God who makes himself known that, hey, I will be with you. I I, I will be with my people. But also the God who makes himself known is here to say that I am who I am. That I'm not just the God of the past who dealt with your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I'm a God of the present too. I'm a God for you. I am who I am. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh with one unshakable, unalterable message. Let my people go. But that's not the end of the message, remember. Let my people go into the wilderness so that they might worship and serve me there. You see, God's program, his design, was never just to kind of right the wrongs of slavery. God wasn't just a God who had compassion and said, well, let me stand up here in the face of injustice. He's not a God just about righting wrongs. There was, there was more to it than that. He said, I, I am rescuing you out of Egypt. I am drawing you out so that I can draw you in. I'm bringing you to myself so that there's this relationship can happen so that I can be present with you. And so that's what's happening. I want to be with you. I will be with you. And so we see throughout the whole book of Exodus, the presence of God is kind of symbolized by this glory cloud. This is what, this is what shows up. And it was there in Exodus 13, the pillar of cloud to lead them by day and the pillar of fire by night. It was the, the cloud that was there to protect and to guide them. We saw it in Exodus 14 when it seemed as if the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were between a rock and a hard place. There was the Red Sea in front of them. There were the Egyptian army behind them. There was no 
nowhere to go. And so what does this cloud do? This glory cloud, it moves behind them, protecting them from their enemy who's chasing them as if to tell the Hebrew people that, hey, at just the right time, I'm going to allow you to pass through. The cloud is is there in chapter 16. It appears to them in the wilderness. It was there with uh, with fire and smoke on the mountain. You see it in Exodus 24 on Mount Sinai when uh, Moses would meet with the Lord there. We see it in Exodus 34, 5, which says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You see, the presence of the Lord had been demonstrated in this cloud, but it was always unpredictable so far. I mean, since the crossing of the Red Sea, God had at times been distant in the cloud, off limits for everyone except for Moses. And you kind of got to put yourself into the sandals of an Israelite here. They've, they've seen the cloud, how it's uh, led them, how it's protected them from the Egyptians, how it's hovered over Mount Sinai and just the, the lightning and the thunder and the awe and the mystery of it all. And it had told them where to go in the wilderness. And all of this has happened in the past year. I mean, it's just one year, but all these things and only Moses can approach this cloud. And so while they stand off at a distance, the the cloud is telling them, God's presence are telling them, hey, it's not safe to come. It's not safe. This is only for Moses. And then we read about the tabernacle. This promise of God to his people that I want to be right in your midst. I want to be in the thick of it all with you. And so the instructions for the tabernacle are given. Very detailed, precise instructions. And so the people, this is given to Moses. And the very heart of the storyline of the book of Exodus is this tabernacle. It's God's presence with his people answering that question. Will God, will you ever be present with us again? And so the tabernacle is the place where God will dwell. And so they get to work on the tabernacle. But before that happens, before you have that, um, uh, all that take place, in chapter 31, you see the Spirit of God indwell these two workers and give them skills to build this thing. And then all of this is interrupted because the people want God's presence now in a different kind of way. They take matters into their own hands. They build the golden calf. And so... Everything falls apart. You see the tragic irony of sin there, don't you? That the people, what they wanted, what they longed for most was the very thing they were in danger of losing. God being present with his people. And so, we're always in danger of losing the presence of God when we try to meet God on our own terms, when we try to force things on our own timetable. And in Exodus 32 through 34, as we saw, it takes this valiant intercession of Moses and the gracious response of our Lord to reinitiate and reestablish with his people uh, this covenant to restore what had been broken that only God can do. And we see the Israelites' response. We see a response of real, genuine repentance. It's not just tears and sackcloth and tearing of garments. It's not just regret. What you see are concrete evidences of obedience. They are overwhelming in their response and their generous response toward God. They're going to do exactly what God says. And so they give generously. 
They give of their time, they give of their talent, they give of their treasure exactly the way God had prescribed. Why? Because they are desperate for God's presence to be in their camp. They really want God to be with them. So, they get to work, they build, and then we get to Exodus 39, and the work is completed. The garments are made, the tabernacle is done. And so this tabernacle, also called the Tent of Meaning, seven times in chapter 39, it says that it's, it was done just the way God commanded. I want you to see the final verse of Exodus chapter 39. It's Exodus 39, verse 43, and it says this, And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. Now, when you hear that verse, do you hear the, the similarity in language to Genesis chapter 1? I, I want to point this out for you in case you missed it. Back in Genesis 21, what you, or Genesis chapter 1, what you see repeated over and over and over again is this idea that God creates, that he evaluates what he creates, that, and that he renders this blessing that it's good. Okay, God creates, he sees what he creates, it's good, and he blesses it. And so now here in Exodus 39, just at the last verse, what do we have? We have Moses kind of taking that language from Genesis 1. And he's saying, okay, I, I have seen what's been created. He evaluates it. They've done it just as the way God commands. This is good. And so what does Moses do? He blesses. Moses is echoing creation here. He's echoing chapter 1 of Genesis. Why? To show the people that what was lost in the Garden of Eden due to sin, that God is at work to restore. That while God now may have seemed distant for so long, he is going to be present with his people again. Humanity does not have to end in a grave in Egypt. Humanity does not have to end oppressed and enslaved in some far off distant country. Thanks to what God is doing at work, there can be presence with God again. And so you get to Exodus chapter 40, and there's this blessing ceremony of Moses where he's blessing the tabernacle. It's on the first day of the year, right? It's New Year's Day, and it's, it's um, as if they're just celebrating this new beginning of God's presence with them. And seven times in, in Exodus chapter 40, just like in Exodus chapter 39, it says that the people had built this thing just as the way God commanded. They did it just the way God wanted it done. And so we, we see all these instructions and we've kind of been through them over the last few weeks, just the instructions for the tabernacle and the garments and the instruments of the tabernacle. And sometimes we might think like, why the detail? I mean, why the repetition? Why, why, why do we know the precise measurements of all this? Why, why do we need to know? Well, think of what those details and all that precision might have meant for an Israelite who was off in exile. Years later, when the Israelites are exiled off into Babylon and they're wondering, will they ever see the temple of, again? Will they ever be in the city of David again? And then somebody reads Exodus. And in their mind, they can picture that tabernacle of where their ancestors, where the first people first actually met with God, where God came to dwell 
with them and they can imagine it and they can picture it because they've got the messages, they've got the measurements, it all just comes alive. In fact, isn't that what the priest Ezekiel was writing about and, and at, towards the end of his book? When he's writing, and Ezekiel, you remember, he's been exiled off to Babylon and he's imagining the rebuild, rebuilding of a temple, of this temple, of this meeting place with God, the presence of God being rebuilt, the temple being reestablished. So we see all that in Exodus 40, and then you get to the very end. I want to read it with you. It's Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, and it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. How do we know that the Lord is really with us? That is the question of Exodus. Will God really be present with his people again? The covenant promises. How do we know that they haven't just been annulled? How do we know that there's still going to be this promise of, of a nation, this promise of, of blessing, this, this promise of land? How do, we, how do we know that God is going to do all this? Well, here's how. He made his home right among them. The cloud came down. That cloud that had always hovered above, the cloud that had always kind of went behind or went before, the, the cloud that was always distant and mysterious, inspired awe and, and fear, it came down. The cloud came down. And surely it's significant that in this section here, right at the very end of Exodus chapter 40, that you, that you hear that repetition of the cloud. It's mentioned in every verse. The cloud covered the tent. The cloud settled on it. Wherever the cloud was taken up, if the cloud was not taken up, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. Every single verse mentions this glory cloud. And you think about it, what the people couldn't approach up on the mountain, they now have living right in their midst. Verse 38 says, they could all see it, that it was in sight, it was in the sight of all, all of Israel throughout all of their journeys, everybody could see it. Before, you know, the, the Israelites, they had feared the voice of God when he would speak. They had feared the presence of God, how he's up high on the mountain. You get too close, you touch that thing, you're, you're gone. There was this fear about the whole thing. They, they were prohibited to going near it, lest they be struck and killed. And now here comes God. This fearful, wonderful, awe-inspiring, transcendent God. He's coming right in their midst. The cloud had come down. The completion of the tabernacle represents the coming down of God's glory from the unapproachable Sinai down into a tent right into their camp. Man, you thought Sinai 
was amazing. <laughs> well, Sinai has come to live in your neighborhood. I mean, that, that's what it's saying here. Sinai has come to your neighborhood. God's presence is coming right into your midst. I mean, this is amazing. This is the most amazing, best news in all of Scripture. And it's that this God, this God of thunder, of lightning, of dread, of awe, of mystery, this, this God of cloud, of weight and heaviness and glory, that he moves in right with us, that he came into the neighborhood. Genesis 40 answers the one question that has dogged the people of God since the fall. And it's, will God really be with us? And God gives this resounding answer. Yes, I'm moving right in. I'm going to be in the thick of it with you. I'm going to be in the midst of it with you. Yes, I'll be with you. Yes, I'll claim you. Though you deserve to be disowned, abandoned, destroyed, I've come to be with my people. I claim you. I'm going to be with you. You're going to have purpose and reason for being. But there's still one huge cliffhanger that Exodus kind of leaves us with that's yet to be resolved. You have all of this good news that God is now there. But did you notice something? Moses can't enter into the tabernacle. Now, on one level, this makes sense, right? You know, if you have the builder of a house. Well, the builder of a house doesn't live in the house. You know, the builder of the house gives the keys to whoever the homeowner is going to be. The builder of the house doesn't just stop by whenever they want. Say, hey, just checking in on this house I made. Just want to walk through the rooms again and see how things are going. No, the builder of the house makes the house, gives the keys to the owner of the house, and then doesn't come back. Well, and so on one sense, we kind of get it, but really on another sense, it's like, well, God had moved in so that he could be with his people and Moses of all people, it would seem like could just come into that tent of meeting to that holy of holies, just whenever he wanted to, that he would have access to this glory cloud, to the presence of God, whenever he wanted it. Surely he would be welcome at all times into the tabernacle. I mean, after all, you go back and we've seen that Moses has had these periods with God. He'd gone up on Sinai and spent 40 days just kind of hanging out with them and visiting them there. Why is Moses not allowed to enter the tabernacle, why can the people not go into that holy of holies? Why at the end of Exodus 40 do we read that Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle? He was allowed to come in before. He was allowed to approach before, but it doesn't seem like he can come in now. How do we make sense of this? Well, was there any other time in the book of Exodus when the presence of God barred the entrance to a house? Yeah. You remember back in Exodus chapter 12, it was during Passover. The presence of the Lord said to the destroyer, you shall not enter this house. You see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. You shall not enter that house. It's to be kept safe. The presence of God keeps the people of the Lord safe. So that's what's happening here. God's keeping Moses safe. God's keeping the people safe because they're still unholy. God's going to be right in their midst, but they can't just come right in. Why? Because they would be destroyed. How do we make sense of the times that Moses was able to come in and be right with him on Mount Sinai and all this? Well, we see throughout the Old Testament that times like that, that kind of direct access 
was always just the anomaly. It was, it was never regular because of their sin. Special provisions always had to be made. The high priest could only enter the temple, the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle once a year. Could only go to that mercy seat once a year. And so there's this question that's still left for us. And that is, do we have access to God? Do we have access to God? Well, we know he's with us. We know, we know he's here. We, we know there's this proximity now. But do we have access? How do we get in? How can we live with him? <laughs> See, this is how Exodus ends on a cliffhanger. It's like any good story, right? You end on this cliffhanger. And Exodus really is part two of a long series. You get uh, Leviticus chapter 1, which happens next, right? And in Leviticus, as the Pentateuch continues, it says that God spoke to Moses. God has something to say, and he picks up right where we're really leaving off right here with God speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting, uh, and they're going to talk for 48 days there. And God is telling um, these people about this new beginning and how the sacrifice still needs to be made. And so he picks up with burnt offerings. And here's what burnt offerings need to look like. And so it, it keeps on going from there. The sacrifices that need to be made in order that access and proximity can continue to happen. So that's the cliffhanger. God is in their midst. But what do they do? They're still sinners. He's still holy. What do they do? And that's why Leviticus picks up and says, you need a sacrifice. If this is going to work, you need a sacrifice because God's going to dwell in your midst and yet you still need atonement. Leviticus is just continuing on in the series. But of course, you know that Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that even the rest of the Pentateuch is not going to tie up all of these loose ends because Exodus is making way for more than just the Pentateuch. Exodus is making way for Christ. I want you to see that. You see, the Lord Jesus, he's our Passover lamb. He's our divine lawgiver. He went up on a mountain and he gave the sermon on the mountain. He's like Moses, the new law giver. He's our manna in the wilderness. He's our water in the desert. He's our life-giving rock. He's our high priest. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. He's our mercy seat. He's our bloody sacrifice and he's our holy tabernacle. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, just when you thought, oh man, it would be cool to be back in Old Testament times and we could have been there and we could have seen his glory just fill that tabernacle and how cool that would have been. No, no, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The glory cloud took on skin and bones and he ate and he drank and he slept and he wept and he died and he rose from the grave and he's coming again. See, when the curtain was torn in two at the crucifixion, it symbolized that it is now finished. That's what Exodus was looking forward to, that Jesus Christ is enough. The cliffhanger in Exodus is fully and finally answered in the person of Jesus. The God who dwells in our midst 
is now the God of open access for everyone, not just once a year. This is not just a high priest, you know, you come in once a year, but it's every moment of every day for all of your life, for everyone who belongs to Jesus. There's a big welcome banner and it says, come in. You have access, you have direct access. You can go where Moses was not allowed to go. See, it really is incredible, isn't it? After you look back and you, you just take in the landscape of Genesis and Exodus and what begins in Exodus and oppression and slavery ends with God in their midst, still looking forward to this place of access, this place of lost hope, of no hope, of fear, of worry and uncertainty gives way to a place of hope of presence. Understand, lost hope really can be restored. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we just survey the book of Exodus, we see a people wanting to know, will you be present with us? And God, you answered that resoundingly, yes. God, may we relish that presence that we now have through your son, Jesus Christ, that we have not only presence, but access every moment of every day. Help us not to take that for granted. We want to live these truths out well. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the presence, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.